too smart for this. I'm your host, Alexis Barber, and this week's episode is with the author, Melody Beattie. So I am excited for this episode because obviously it's February. I wanted the theme for this month to be relationships and talking a little bit about self-love and the importance of self-love. And I have to say, honestly, that self-love is kind of the hardest relationship I've ever been in. And that's because relationship parameters and what you're supposed to do feels pretty clear, or at least there's examples of it when you look at how to be in relationship with a partner, how to have friendships, how to have family relationships. And so those all feel a little bit easier for me because I'm like, oh, I can just copy what people have done. But taking care of myself is really what's at the root of all successful relationships, including the one with myself. And I think that it's really hard for me. I've been struggling to do it, to be honest. And this conversation with Melody really, really helps me feel better about that and helps me recognize that this is a journey for everybody, including you, including me, and including everyone who we look at. In today's episode, we chatted about social media, about how codependency is something that we don't necessarily all recognize as the same thing as it was 25 years ago, but it is something that we all might be experiencing when it comes to our relationship with social media and external validation. So a little bit about our guest. Melody Beattie is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Codependent No More, which was originally released in 1986 and has sold over 7 million copies worldwide. It continues to help countless readers heal, and she recently released a revised and updated version that is also addressing trauma and anxiety in an all-new chapter. She's brought in the lens to address a wide range of compulsive behaviors, making the book even more relevant today when it first entered the national conversation over 35 years ago. Melody has also written 22 books, which we talked which we talked about in this episode, and she's an incredible creative, a spiritual person, and just someone who I am so grateful to have been able to cross paths with in this lifetime. And her book, Codependent No More, helps you break old patterns and maintain healthy boundaries and offers a clear and achievable path to healing, hope, freedom, and happiness. I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode and hear from Melody, and I really, really hope that you enjoy. If you do, please make sure to share this episode with someone, give us a rating and review if you haven't already. We only have, I think, like less than 200 ratings, and that is such such a small fraction of the listeners who tune in week after week. So please do go ahead and give us that rating. And don't forget that this episode is, of course, sponsored by the Two Cozy Robe, which is on sale at the moment. So definitely check down below and get yourself a discount code. And with that, we will jump into our conversation with Melody Beauty. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to meet you. And as I said before, I'd love to start with some rapid fire questions for you. Go on then. Fabulous. So I'm curious, are you an astrology person? Yes. Amazing. So do you know your big three, like your sun, moon, rising? They're all Geminis. All three? Yep. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. That's my moon. Cool. My moon is Capricorn. I have a very serious heart, but the rest of me is air. Mm, okay, that makes sense. I'm primarily fire, so oh, I wow. feel like the air is always good for me. Are you Aries or Leo? What are you? I'm a Sagittarius sun, Leo moon, Aries rising. Wow. Yeah, you've got a lot of fire in there. A lot of fire. So it, it keeps me warm, I like to say. Yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> All right, next question is, where's your hometown and where do you live now? My hometown is St. Paul, Minnesota up in the land of the very, very, very cold. And I now live on the beach in Malibu. 
Ooh, delightful. I'm a Midwestern girl myself. I'm from St. Louis, so love that. My, I have a son who lives there. Oh, great. Yeah. I love St. Louis. It's a great place to grow up, but I feel like the cold is not. No, it's not. It. I've been whinging because it's been so cold out here. In L.A.? Yes, and people just will not tolerate listening to me. <laughs> I understand. I spent part of my winter in L.A., and I was like, oh, my goodness, like, it's crazy. But then I started realizing, like, 50 degrees. I was like, oh, I need a puffer jacket. And I was like, I can't believe I went to college in Chicago. Like, I'm supposed to be stronger than this. I, I know. I feel the same way. And I've been freezing for the last 45 days. Absolutely freezing. Yeah. Well, spring is on the horizon, thankfully. I mean, you can see me today. I'm all bundled up here at the beach. <laughs> Absolutely. But, hey, sometimes it feels better that way. Mm -hmm. What is your most important self-care practice? I don't know that there's just one. It is prayer, meditation, yoga, and spiritual study. Those four things are the absolute staples of my spiritual diet. I'm excited to hear about your routine later on and how you get all of that into one day. So what is a book or a podcast that you're loving right now? Well, I'm loving most of them because I don't have to do them myself. I just get to pop on as a guest. So I'm really enjoying meeting all the little potters around around the country. It's I'm finding it great fun. Oh, good. I'm glad to see that. Um, and then finally, what is the worst advice that you've ever received? Don't keep asking all these questions about what happened to the spouses of the alcoholics. Just do what they tell you to do. Yes. Oh, oh my goodness. I feel like that is such an interesting, the the timing in which you wrote this book and then having it come back, I think is so interesting because our culture has shifted so, so much. And I'm glad that you did ask those questions because they're still relevant today. I know. One of my questions, after the podcast I did yesterday, I kept thinking, because the the host asked me if I thought we were evolving spiritually with codependency, with our mental health issues. And I thought about it and I said, yes, I, I suppose we are, although it's been a little sketchy since the year 2001. And then I had another thought afterwards that went, do people even care enough anymore to be codependent? Co codependency isn't an illness. It's caring too much, loving too much, getting in. And, and no, we don't want to do that. But I think it beats the alternative of not giving a damn about anyone. I, I don't know. I was going to ask you a question similar to that, where a lot of my audience and me personally, I think we deal with hyper independence. So when I saw the name of your book, I got to be honest, it like triggered me because I was like, well, of course I'm not codependent because I've been doing everything on my own since I was a child. And then upon reading it, I realized there was a lot of takeaways that made sense. But the codependence that I kind of see happening in my generation is on the opinions of others and the external validation, as opposed to perhaps like having an alcoholic spouse where that's like a behavior you're trying to control. You're kind of trying to control the opinions of others. Do you think that codependency can still like fit into those terms? It thrives in social media. It absolutely thrives. We used to have to imagine 
what was going on behind the doors of other people's homes and wondering if we were as good as him. And now it's thrown in our face every day. You know, it, it's a lot for anyone to keep up with if they give themselves over to that consciousness. It can, it can be extreme, extremely challenging. I think so. I think that's when I was reading through this, I felt kind of like, what I think a lot of us don't really know, and a lot of the antidote to codependency is figuring out who you are and what you genuinely like. And I think that's really mm-hmm. hard to do in this day and age, especially like in our, for in our young culture. People. Yeah, in our culture. absolutely. So it's, why do you say 2001 specifically? When 9-11 hit, I think it instilled global trauma on everyone global trauma and those who did not have anxiety before it certainly were going to develop it now. And I think that those behaviors can spark a lot of codependent behaviors because when we have anxiety, when we have trauma, we just want to make a decision. We just want to get rid of the pressure and go to the next thing quickly. And we get, we, we're so distracted. We've been so distracted since 9-11. And then life has just moved us right along into one trauma after another until we landed in the pandemic. For sure. And I mean, like, I guess we should definitely back up quickly before any, in case anyone doesn't know, but what is the definition of, of codependency? In Codependent No More, when I wrote that book, it was primarily aimed at people in chemically dependent families, whether we grew up in one as a child, stumbled into one as an adult, but its main association was with that. That's not so, that's not so much the case anymore. So my de- definition is someone who consistently loves other people more than they love themselves to their detriment and the other person's detriment. It can also be someone who's obsessed with another person's behavior. We have this innate capacity as humans. And, and I think that's where we can maybe start to see codependency in a reverse mirror. I, th- I, I, I don't know that the obsession definition is all bad because so many people are obsessed now with what other people think of them, what they might think, what they're going to think, if they're dressed properly, if they're not dressed properly, if they're doing the latest thing, if they're on social media enough, that kind of, any kind of obsession where a concern, where we give up agency over ourselves, over our daily behaviors, over what feels right, what feels peaceful to us. Because we're, when we're in anxiety, nothing we do is peaceful and it's not authentic. Whenever we're playing to the media, we're not authentic. You know, we give up just this bit of ourselves when we're trying to impress people through the media. And I mean, that's a hard thing because there's a lot of people on media now that aren't doing that. But there are a lot that are who are. 100%. There are sort of, it's sort of about figuring out what your own boundaries are with it sometimes. And sometimes it's taking a look and reminding yourself not to compare yourself to the people who are, who are on social media, no matter what. But obviously the definition sort of originated in a, in, in the chemical dependency sort of definition. And now it can be applied to lots of different experiences and relationships. So What might it look like in a more traditional sense if you're in a relationship 
like with a significant other and you are dependent on their behaviors or obsessed with their behaviors. If you start to notice that, what do you recommend people do? It, a lot depends on the mental illness we're dealing with too. And we have a lot of new ones, a lot of new ones since the year 2000. Narcissism being one, a big one. And then I even um, started learning about another one called luminance. People who meet someone decide they're in love with that person and then make themselves fit into that relationship, whether they have love or not. It's all based on this imagined fantasy. So we've been doing that since we watched the first Walt Disney movie, haven't we? So we have, we have a lot of words for our dysfunctions now, but it's never, and I need, I need to qualify this. It's never really about the other person, always about us. What are we doing? What are we feeling? What are we thinking? Are we in touch with ourselves? Are we being an authentic human being or are we just, going along with the blah, blah, blah. Are we constantly, constantly repressing what we have to say, what we feel, what we think to the important people in our life because we don't want the backlash from genuinely expressing ourselves? That can be the most dangerous place to go because then we start disappearing. We Then we start disappearing. That's a good... I want to question. I mean, I'm 24 and many of our the listeners here are in their young 20s. How do you start to disappear if you might not even really know who you are yet? That's more like a seed that never really got to grow, isn't it? You guys are so young. <laughs> you really are. And that's so wonderful that you're exploring these ideas. I, th- I think one of the more important things we can do is get rid of our delusions about what love is and what it isn't. The minute we latch on to love as, oh, this is my happy. Let me take it and run with it forever. No, it's not your happy. Your happy is in here. Your happy is not in another person. If you're using another person for your happy, you're using that person as a drug, as an antidepressant. Let yourself be your happy. Let your spirituality and your practices be your happy. And then meet someone someday who's doing the same thing. So you come together and you each have your own happy and you don't have to take the other person's happy. And we don't let other people take ours either because if we start shining light, people are going to want to come on and and, and come around and take that light if we don't watch it. Oh, for sure. I think especially on social media and you talk about that with acting and reacting and having to have it all within yourself instead of just reacting to what's happening. But I think the default right now is a reaction. And so that leads to lots of people trying to take away from whatever happiness they see because they can't possibly believe that someone else has it and they don't or that it can be that easy. And so I wonder on on your terms, when, when we're searching for this external validation for our whole lives, how do we just like stop it? How do we change that narrative? One of the more important things I think we can start with is instead of running around chasing our happy, we can look for and cultivate peace, which is much more profound than happiness, much more lasting. And I've never heard anyone say about a significant other, oh yeah, he's my peace, you know. 
it's not something we tend to covet in others, but it's something we can definitely cultivate within ourselves is our peace. And you referred to that when you talked about our practices. We aren't looking to get an antidepressant from a relationship. We're learning to cultivate our peace so we can attract and draw in people who will add to that piece, who will help help us learn things. And it's also, I'd like to say it's important to let relationships begin and end organically. We don't have to do a big drama at the beginning, nor do we need to do a big drama at the end. But I like to qualify that if there's any abuse or if there's severe narcissism, because that can lead to dangerous things happening. And we don't want that. We need to leave as quickly as possible, if that's the case. But that can get complicated, too. When we have kids, when we're financially dependent on someone, it can really trip us up because we we can stay stuck. We can become and stay stuck for a long time. And we can be at the mercy of the other person. None of those are good situations. They just aren't. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. And I think it's it's hard to make those choices when you have to, but seeing it as peace instead of happiness or sort of maybe even conflating the two is, I think, a big unblock for a lot of people where you can see like – you can because you can tell when you feel peaceful and when you don't feel peaceful, whereas finding happiness is often something that feels really like confusing, like what is happiness supposed to be? So I like that idea of – focusing on your own peace and then not making such a big deal about relationships and that they have to last forever. I think that's something I've struggled with a lot is thinking like whatever I'm feeling in the moment is going to last forever, whether it's good or bad and all, and making decisions based on that instead of the idea of like a natural evolution taking place. Yeah. Our, our feelings I'm finding are more like clouds in the sky. They come and they go they disappear. Peace is the sky. I love that. I love that idea. So I'm curious because I think a lot of people, it's February. Everyone is thinking about like love and, you know, relationships in terms of like love. But I'm curious to have you experienced seeing people deal with codependency in families or in friendships? And how does that differ from like being in a relationship with someone who and having it be codependent? Well, if we're entrenched in codependent behaviors, we're going to be ourselves no matter who we're around, right? We're going to be ourselves at work. We're going to be ourselves with friends. We're going to be ourselves with our family, all our family members, if that's what we do, if those behaviors are that ingrained. I shouldn't say not everyone is that codependent anymore because many people are. They're just, you know, doggedly stuck in their own reactions to life. And nobody could convince him that they're reacting, that it's not legitimate, authentic emotions that they need to indulge in. I'm really glad I'm not growing up now. If if I go on social media for even two minutes, it triggers so many reactions in me. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't need to do any of that. It's not going to be a destiny-friendly decision for me to do that. And so that's one of the ways I try and measure my behaviors now. Is that a destiny-friendly decision? Is the result of taking that action going to bring me peace or happiness, either one? And I, I, 
I've not yet found that posting on social media has ever brought me a happy. <laughs> it just hasn't. It's a good point, 100%. I think, and I do think that it's it's become to a place where a lot of people see that as like a human need to like self-actualize. Like they have to be on social media to do that. And whereas I think we've got, we've moved away from the idea of like being human is enough. That That's one of the best points I've heard in a long time. You're very wise for your age. You're very, very, very wise. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I... I I think if we ever really became mindful, many of us would find that social media is not doing for us what we thought and hoped it would. It's it's just not. And my hope is that this very brilliant younger generation can sort through how to make it not so reactive, how to make it not so mean, how to make it not so, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But maybe go into more of a we thing and community and ideas that aren't just about showing off or being better than the next guy. None of those have really good intentions in them. They're all designed to spark us against the people in our community to react. I'm curious about that because something I was struggling to reconcile with the definition of codependency is is being like quote obsessed with helping others but also like how do you take care of your community like how do you set those boundaries and I ask because I'm the oldest of eight kids but for a long time and I'm talking up until about two years ago I was very obsessed with my younger siblings behavior and that was what I could see as like codependency with how they performed and how they were doing and their behavior And when I eventually, you know, realized that I can't control these eight-year-olds, I can't control my teenage siblings, that helped me really like find peace within myself. But I still care about them and I still want them to do well, but I don't, I struggle to figure out how to care for them without obsessing over their behavior. Yeah. Overcaring is a good word for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Overcaring doesn't help other people. It annoys them. It just, and and then it ends up annoying us. So that was a pretty brilliant discovery you made. Thank you. Um, It was therapy. Oh. (laughs) Well, with eight siblings, um, you escaped lucky. If that's all you had was some overcaring with siblings, that's, that's very lucky. Absolutely. What, what, what are your career goals? Are you going into politics? Do you have some lofty goals? No, not. I think when I was younger, politics was on the table, but I don't find, I think that I care a little bit too much to do politics. It's kind of scary, but I would say my career goals are to be a business owner, be a really great entrepreneur and be able to help people take care of themselves a little bit better. I think I found so much peace in figuring out how to take care of myself but I wasn't taught that. And so I'm hopeful to like bring that to more people as much as possible. That's a very worthy idea. Many of us do not have a clue what it means to feel nurtured, loved, soothed, or comforted because nobody ever did that for us. And if we never had that and we lived in a crazy family, what we've got is a lot of crazy inside and not a lot of cues 
about how to calm ourselves, how to get peaceful. And so I think that's when a lot of us start distracting. We go on our phones, we go on our computers, we look for a way to escape that feeling of discomfort with ourselves. And that's, it, it doesn't heal it. It really doesn't. It, it's going into it, it, finding the peace, find the peace. I like that a lot. And I also think that you've talked, you talked about your experiences with like substance abuse and how that, and how coming out of that and recognizing that in your relationships and everything has, has really helped find that peace. But I think we all might be addicted to external validation in the same way. And so finding that peace without that is such a big like step, but it hurts. It's kind of, it's painful to move through like those waves of discomfort. So are those things you talked about at the beginning, like those self-care practices, is that sort of how you manage that kind of pain? Well, a lot of my self-care practices have come about in the last 20 years since we've had, we, when I was discovering codependency, we did not know about PTSD about trauma and about anxiety in normal people. It just, it was not a thing. After 9-11, we still didn't really know about it. We knew veterans could have PTSD. We suspected a lot of us were very anxious and they're learning amazing things about anxiety. They're learning that it's contagious, number one. And so, I think we're giving each other a lot of anxiety on social media. I really do. I think we're infecting people with our anxiety and our trauma. And it's just a thought. But we definitely can learn to slow down, get in touch with ourselves, and lead a peaceful life that reflects our values and our desires and in a way that doesn't hurt and annoy others terribly. Exactly. Do you think, are there any tactics you've used to do that yourself? Well, I don't go on social media. Um, I put one penguin video on TikTok. That's it. I, I took my friend's nephew out to the zoo in Long Beach and we met a penguin. We had two hours in private with a penguin. So that's the only video I put up there because it's sweet. It's just a very sweet penguin video. So I avoid social media. I will have my web team go on there for me, put on full hazmat and go in there for me if, if need be. <laughs> I think all of these things are going to be coming up for review. You know, nothing, nothing, nothing ever stays the same. That is so simple, but so I think when you're going through it, like young adulthood, it's so hard to reconcile because it's so scary knowing that like things will constantly change. I know. And, and young people now, I mean, we didn't really know what was going to happen next back in my day, but we at least thought we did. Now people can't even think that safely anymore. They don't even think that, oh, yeah, I know how it's going to work out. Nobody really knows exactly how this is all going to work. And how it's going to work is going to be dependent on each of us getting peaceful and finding our heart's path through life. We need to get back to our hearts. Hearts and com common sense. Common sense in our hearts. Yeah. I agree on the common sense front vehemently. And the heart. And I think coming back to the heart is, is, is pretty new for me. And I'm curious, when you were my age at like 24, what 
were you going through and like what was the advice that you needed most then? It was probably the advice I got. I was in front of a district court judge in Minnesota. And he said, young lady, did you know you're responsible for your own behavior? And if I would have answered him, honestly, I would have said, no, no one, no one ever told me that. That was the best advice I ever got. I spent eight months in treatment and I really grappled with this. Yes, I am responsible for my own behavior. Whether you call it happiness or peace, we're each responsible for creating our own. It doesn't just come served up to us on a platter. You know, we need to create it. And so if we're if we're on social media fighting with people a lot of the time, that's what we're going to create. What do we really want to create with our words? Our words are the most powerful, powerful asset we have. The words we say, the words we think, the words we speak. And if we're using them carelessly, we're we're wasting one of our most valuable resources. And those are our words. And secondly, our ability to uplift our fellow humans, you know, instead of calling them out, maybe we can now and again call them in. I agree. And I think, I think about that. How do once, while we're finding our own peace, how do we, if we're like, if we've been entrenched in codependent behavior in the past, how do we learn how to take care of our community without putting our needs on the back burner? Service. Being of service is our destiny in life. Whether we're, we, we consider our form of being in service, having a restaurant that makes the best sandwiches for people, whether it's being a politician and serving with value, uh, what, whatever it is we're doing, it's doing that with integrity, with our heart, with purity, and with intention, intentions are so important. If you look at some of the most messed up things right now, let's even start with Facebook and track it back to the inventor's intentions. You're going to see that the intentions pretty much manifested. So it's so important to be kind and thoughtful and mindful about our intentions as we move through the world. If we wanna create a better world, a different world, and it's 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 going to be different one way or another, but what the differences are, that question belongs to each of us, and especially the young people today who are out there creating the world. Yeah. I love that. And I think I it sounds like weird to say, but I didn't really understand the value of intentions until like this past few months. Um, because I've I've always operated on the like doing things because I'm supposed to and like following a clear path. And then after this year, I was like, why am I not where I want to be? And I was like, because I'm not really being intentional about what 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 I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. And so I think noticing that and making changes and thinking about that like every day with every decision, it's a new feeling that I'm experiencing, but it's definitely feels more fulfilling when you have an intention and you can see that come to light like you said, with the words. It, it does. I think we may be slowly easing out of a time where we took out our hammer and nails and accomplished goals and sliding into a more gentle time where we live by and with intention, by leaning into and focusing on our intentions and manifesting them in this world. And 
a more gentle nature, more organically, I think, than the old, you know, uber goals of of coming up with these things and then pounding their way into reality. And I think the, I know that the spiritual energy that goes into our intentions, it's like the yeast that makes bread rise when you make bread. And it, it makes our goals and our visions rise when we let them sit with a bit of intention for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have another book about spirituality. Am I right? I have 22 books out now. Oh my goodness. 22. Okay. I've only heard, I only had heard you mention the other one um, about spirituality, but 22 is incredible. How do you find creative energy? Well, I'm 74, so it's been spread out over a lot of years, over many years. But I do love what I do. I love what I do. I love words. And I love being a vehicle to write to people and to tell people stories that inspire them. And my generation was more of one that we came along to change the world, but we didn't really have a clue what we were changing it into. We just came here determined to change. And I mean, we did a good a good job of it for the most part. It got a little wonky back in 2016, 2017. But um, I think it's time for the baby boomers to step back and to start allowing the younger generations to shine their light along with ours. I think that's a really great recognition i feel like there's a lot of people who are who wouldn't necessarily agree with that but i like that like there's self-awareness there too and i don't know but i am scared of my generation sometimes so i don't know well yeah i mean they've gotten a bit taken up with themselves haven't they yeah social media will do that to you but it's we can just say it's mark zuckerberg's fault i guess yeah let's blame it on mark yeah let's blame it on mark Exactly. Well, we are coming up on at the end of time here. So I'm curious. I have two final questions for you. One is a little more tactical. Could you walk us through that routine of those self-care practices, the yoga, prayer, meditation, and how that looks for you personally? All right. What I do when I first open my eyes in the morning, after I learned how anxiety had such a stranglehold on me. I was so filled with anxiety all the time. So the very first thing I do is I plug on my, or turn on my timer on my phone for 20 minutes and I meditate using um, transcendental meditation. It gives you a mantra that you can use so I don't get all caught up in my monkey mind. I can just keep thinking the mantra over and over and I can feel right before the timer goes off, I can usually feel because my body has reset. And meditation has really changed me. I I can't tell you how much. That is the number one thing. Even if someone starts like with two minutes a day, and we can pick around and find a way that works for us. But if you think about it, when we're on social media, when we're on our computers, everything we do, we are electrically connected to the rest of the world. And that connects our nervous systems with theirs. So yeah, there's a lot of anxiety spreading about out there. So I meditate. Then I pray for about 20 minutes to the God of my understanding. 
And then I um, scanned through the Zohar for a chapter. And sometimes it might be two pages. Sometimes it might be 10 pages. And by then, um, I feel like I've climbed the mountain with Moses. So I get up. I have a coffee. And then I do the seven Tibetan rites, which is a yoga workout where you repeatedly do a different pose for up to 21 times. And it's, it's, it's on YouTube. You can find it, but it's, it's a great routine. And I've been doing it since 1990. Even when I have physical problems, I can do yoga. I can somehow do yoga and it somehow helps. So that's, and being of service, I don't want to downplay that either. It's important for each of us to give of ourselves what we have, what we can share, and not just our nasty comments on, on social media, but to really be generous in spirit in our communities, to find a place where we can be of service and then quietly do that with people. I have an organization I'm on the board with, and it, it's it's my tie-in to consistently being of service in ways that are safe and properly directed toward the community. I love that. And it's great to hear how consistent you've been too with everything. But I think the service portion is so important. And I agree. I don't want to downplay that either because it's so important to think about because we forget that because we get so wrapped up in what other people think of us instead of like how really to be able to help others. So I needed that reminder. So thank you. Yeah. Our, our bondage to self can sometimes be our greatest withholding from freedom is when we're in bondage to ourselves. And so my routine helps me transcend that most days. It's the only meditation that's really ever worked for me. I mean, if I sit and stare at a rose, I get annoyed. I don't meditate. I just go, this, this isn't working for me. Oh. And there, there are a lot of apps, too. People can download an app and start with one minute a day, even if 20 sounds too much. On a good or bad day, however you choose to look at it, I will do two 20-minute meditations that day. In the first two years I meditated, I did two 20 minutes every day. I didn't know. I had no idea how much anxiety there was that had me just like that all the time. And how are we going to not react if we're feeling like that? We're going to react to everything because we're all tied up in a big reactive knot inside of ourselves. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm feeling that personally a lot the last few months. So I'm going to give I'm going to give transcendental med- meditation a try. So thank you. My final question that I like to ask every one of my guests is, could you finish the following sentence with something that you want young people to know? You are too smart for. Not shining your light. That's a perfect one. Thank you so much for coming on. 
And I really appreciate not only like your dedication to to service, but also the fact that you are excited about the next generation and passing down your learnings to them. So if anyone wants to find you, should they pick up a copy of your book? And do you have of your other books? Do you want to recommend any of those too? My next favorite one, absolutely favorite one, is Language of Letting Go. It's a daily meditation book, and I it was the most magical book in the writing of it. It was the last book I wrote before my son's death, and it it it, it was absolutely magical. It still is. That book helps me when I read it. That's how you know you did something great. Well, I will link both of those below, and thank you again for coming on. Can't sleep? Try new plant-based non-prescription Wana Optimal Sleep Gummies. They're made by Wana Brands, North America's most trusted producer of cannabis-infused edibles. But these gummies aren't about getting you high. They contain calibrated blends of four cannabis-derived molecules, CBD, CBG, CBN, and THC, plus more than 30 additional calming plant compounds. The point is to address the root causes of sleeplessness, including stress and physical tension, rather than simply knocking you out and leaving you drowsy. And they come in two formulations to suit your needs and experience with cannabis. Fast-asleep gummies work in 5 to 15 minutes with no next-day grogginess, and their low THC content makes them great for people who'd rather not feel intoxicated. And stay-asleep gummies come in a higher dose, but they last all night long. Find Wana Optimal Sleep Gummies at licensed retailers near you. Just visit wanabrands.com. That's Wana with one N. W-A-N-A brands.com. Thank you so much for listening to Too Smart for This. I am so grateful that you took the time out of your day to take a listen to these conversations. If you're looking for more content, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Collective. And don't forget to follow me, your host, Alexis Barber, on the Gram TikTok as well. Don't forget, you can also watch our solo episodes on YouTube. So be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Alexis Barber. And we do a weekly giveaway of PR products or Amazon gift cards cards to girls who leave great reviews down below. So please make sure to leave your reviews and follow us on Instagram to be notified in case you win. And with that, do not forget that you are too smart to not love yourself and see you in the next episode.